The time has long been passed for people in the U.S. to no longer find comfort in our ignorance around politics. Using the statement, I'm not into politics, to avoid potentially being uncomfortable limits our ability as individuals to grow and learn. I get it, though. I mean, who wants to lead a difficult conversation, be vulnerable, maybe even be wrong? I love what Brene Brown says on leading difficult conversations. She says, the courage to be vulnerable is not about winning and losing. It's showing up when you can't predict or control the outcome. So for our sixth episode, I catch up with Claire Weaver, who's a friend from Rhodes College, where we both attended undergrad in Memphis, Tennessee. We talk about how our upbringings in Mississippi and Massachusetts influenced much of the way we were raised talking about and engaging, and also not talking about and not engaging conversations around politics and more specifically race. Building upon her childhood and transformative college years, Claire shares with us how her marriage today has been made stronger by sitting down with her more conservative-leaning husband and talking about politics. In a time of seemingly unlimited division, it's important to understand the unifying power of intentional conversation around difficult topics. And before we start the episode, I'd like to clarify that Claire is currently living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and not Natchez, Mississippi. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is Wi-Fi and Water. This is podcast number six, I think. Episode six. Does that sound right, Claire? Yeah, yeah. And, I think and that- <laughs> I, I think that's right. And <laughs> we are going to have a talk today with Claire Weaver, who is zooming in all the way uh, from Natchez, Mississippi. And I am going to let her talk a little bit more about herself in a minute. Um, but I'm just going to say Claire and I met uh, in college and we met in 2005, the throwback, 2005, 2006, freshman year. Um, and you know, through Instagram email and then life happening, we've always kept in touch. And when the podcast kind of came out, I spoke with Claire and it seemed to make sense. And so I'm really happy that she's open to to be here. And this is also the first one that I'm doing on Zoom. So this is a whole new experience. Um, but I hope it makes the podcast more dynamic. So without further ado, um, Claire Weaver, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then we'll get into the topic uh, that we're going to talk about, which is, you know, we'll talk a little bit about yourself and then we'll come back into the topic if you want. Okay. Um, so as Jay said, I am Claire and I'm from Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, a very small, tiny southern town. Um, growing up, I was, you know, living in a very white world, um, a very Christian white world. Um, I wanted to get out of that world after high school and expand <laughs> my horizons. Hence, going to Memphis, Tennessee to Rhodes College. Um, and there I studied psychology. Um, I always knew that I wanted to go into work with individuals with special needs, such as Down syndrome, autism. Mm-hmm. So I kind of channeled my degree towards that field um, and the nonprofit world. And after leaving college, just had various jobs in that arena, um, ultimately landing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I work at a school for kids with um, autism, Down syndrome, and various disabilities. Nice. And you've recently, well, not not so recently, but recently gotten married and also yep. are recently now a mother. 
Yes, those are two important things, I guess. <laughs> Those are, those are two things that have definitely happened. <laughs> yes. They define me now, I'd say. <laughs> and so, you know, when I, when, when Claire and I got in contact, um, uh, we spoke about the podcast and we spoke about the issue that is probably one of the most forefront issues right now in the United States, which is essentially um, racism and, and how communities are grappling with it. And I, at that point, then shared with Claire that, you know, growing up in New England, our ties to racism weren't maybe as direct. They were a little bit more abstract than what I definitely felt um, being at a college in the South, right? Being at school in Memphis, Tennessee, playing soccer in college and traveling to other places that I really had never really been to um, and just mm -hmm. kind of feeling the palpable, okay, like, going down through Mississippi, going through Alabama, these are places that for many people in New England um, are foreign, right? They think of mm -hmm. Alabama, they think of like some Forrest Gump thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and Mississippi's like a hard state to spell when you're a little kid. Um, yeah. it's, it's an abstract, you know? Yeah. And so going, being down there as a kid from New England, it was, it was, it was interesting because I also feel like even now today in New England, um, there are many people that have never been to the South. Uh, when you yeah. say, have you been to the South? They said, yeah, I've been to Florida. And then coming home in the summer, I feel like there was a tendency to say, oh, why are you going to school in the South? Why are you going to school in the South? You know, mm. have the best, we have the best schools, especially being from Massachusetts. Like you can go to Boston and you could throw a stone and you're going to hit like an amazing institution that's known across the globe. And then mm -hmm. when I come back and say, you know, I go to Rhodes, they don't know what that is. But then when I'm in the South, everyone kind of knows what Rhodes is because, you know, it's a very popular school. Now, since Rhodes has really grown and there are a lot of people in New England that are now gone there. Um, and even when yeah. I was a senior, there was a student uh, who was down there, uh, Tommy Lockwood. So mm -hmm. we'd gone to my high school and from my town, full circle. Um, and yeah. so it was just always really interesting to then engage with ideas of race and ideas of ethnicity coming from New England and being in the South. And so when I reached out and Claire and I spoke about, about everything that's going on, I mean, when we catch up, we were talking about Black Lives Matter and all that. And then she had expressed interest uh, of basically sharing that and being on the podcast. I just absolutely think that that's so important because the United States is obviously, it is literally made up of states that are united. And I think we need to remember both of those, right? It's united. Um, and they're also very different. And we're seeing the way that that plays out right now in the global pandemic. Um, and honestly, the way that states in each pockets are, are kind of responding to racism, because the narrative that will happen in Mississippi is way different from the narrative that happens in Massachusetts. Um, yeah. I think on that, like, you know, if you want to talk about, because to me, it's so fascinating to hear from you, because these are also things, Claire, that we really never dove into in college. Um, yeah, yeah. We were we together for like four years and we dove into everything else under the sun and, you know, had an amazing friend group and all this. But I think that that also speaks a little bit to the experience of, of Rhodes College and what that space was. Um, but it also, you know, it speaks to now many people are having to have conversations that they didn't have to have before. So it's weird now that exactly. we're in our early 30s and only now are we sitting down and I'm like, Claire, like, Tell me how it was, you know, growing up in Mississippi race, you know, this is a place where there was 
uh, you know, slavery. And so with that, yeah. you want to talk about that because that, that for people in New England is going to be good to hear. And then vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think it's also good for people maybe in the South to hear that like, we really weren't, and maybe it's also similar, but the th- they seemed so abstract, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, with that. I'll, I'll yeah. Play. Yeah. I think it was hard for us to relate. And I guess because it's so abstract, like I, you know, in college, I was just kind of this girl from Mississippi and let's go to Clairestown and see the, see the plantations. You know, it was just kind of like, Oh, ha ha. And I guess we never really sat down and talked through that because it was so foreign to both of us. Um, totally. There was, you know what, there was no reference point. And I see that happening yeah. today a lot. It's like, you know, there's that expression trying to explain the color blue to a blind person um, yeah. or, or to someone who can't see trying to explain a color. And that's how I kind of feel like we didn't have a reference point at 18, 19, 20. We also maybe didn't have life experience to be able to teach us to how to communicate through something like that. Yeah. Um, and the emotional intelligence or maturity, potentially, I don't want to take too much away from our younger selves. Um <laughs> But, you know, isn't that weird? And so, yeah, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about Natchez, because you've shared things with me that uh, I didn't know. And then I've shared something with you about the town that I grew up in that you probably didn't know. And they're both like, wow. So, yeah. So, high school. So, high school. (laughs) (laughs) High school, I roll. I mean, for for reference right now, I'm wearing a headband in our Zoom call um, to kind of commemorate my high school experience because I would wear headbands like this and they would call me African wild child um, like it was an African headscarf. Wow. <laughs> so real foreign, um, real cookie cutter. Um, and wait, wait, just to, just to get a little more context around that. So just because you put a head, just because you had a headband or a scarf, they called you African wild child. And so that leads me to believe that other girls in high school did not do that. Correct. It was like, was it a, was it seen as hippie? Like, yeah, how was it so. received? I think so. Cause then I got a bumper sticker that said hippie chicks rule. So I think. Okay. Okay. Um, so that just kind of paints a picture that it was it was a standard and there wasn't really a lot of um, outsiders on the, on the standard. Um, I think the distinct thing about Natchez is the history with the Confederacy. Um, mm-hmm. used to be the richest city um, in the Confederacy. And I can remember going into a building with my dad where slaves were sold and there were still shackles on the wall. I mean, this is in like the nineties, two thousands, and that was still present. Um, so when, slavery, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. When was that taken down? Like when, when did that, or, or is that still present? It's not still present. It was just completely like renovated into an apartment, like an Airbnb. <sighs> Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. And like, you know, like probably while I was in college, it was. Okay. Rich. Okay. Um, so we had, we had a rich history. I mean, everyone gets married at a plantation house. Um, the white staff there is all African-American. Um, I grew up swimming at a plantation. 
Um, we also are very infamous now for our Confederate pageant that we had every year um, that commemorates, you know, moments in the Confederacy. And in that, there obviously were not a lot of African-American participants. Um, and my ballet school, actually, we were required by the NAACP to have one African-American ballet dancer so that it would qualify as, okay, y'all get a pass um, because you have that African-American that is in it. Wow. And, and looking back now, like questions, right? Like, okay, yeah. so let's talk about, you know, so your child is now five and is playing on a soccer team and they have a similar rule. Does that, do those things still happen as far as like the NAACP being like, yeah, you need to have, um, you know, show that type of representation or like, where are we now? Cause that's, cause that's where it was. And has there been an evolution? Yeah. You say that, you know, the shackles yeah. are now on, on Airbnb um, <laughs> right. and no one knows um, that that probably history maybe, or maybe they probably do, not. probably not, yeah. probably not. Um, and so where are we now as far as like those types of, uh, you know, where are we now? Because that was seemingly yeah. 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah, there's been a lot of reform with the Confederate pageant um, because tourism is the number one industry in Natchez. I mean, you okay. can't see all this history. And so obviously they had to reform it because it kept getting weirder and weirder. People didn't want to come and see these white people parade around about the Confederacy. Um, so Greg Isles, who is a famous Natchez author, he actually did a lot of work to reform it and really paint a positive picture on the African-American piece of the Confederacy. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen from here on out, especially after this year. Um, but looking at it, kind of like coming back and looking back into it, my thought was, when we're sitting in our history class and we're sitting in our religion class in high school, like that would have been such an interesting thing to bring up and say, Hey, this is what we all do. And we all just think it's normal, but think about the other side of it. You know, and I think that you ask, you know, if my son is on a team and that was a rule for some God awful reason. That's the point that I would make. Like, let's see, let's sit here and think about what it must be like for that one person that has to be in it to represent their minority. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, wow. Wow. For example, like, you know, growing up in the town I grew up in, um, heavily, I think like over 92, 93% white, um, so definitely, it's actually as if you look at like the the racial demographic, it's definitely way more white than even Natchez. Um, yeah. And so, oh, yeah. and it's also has this New England, um, New Englandness about it, which is an interesting thing. So there's a lot more liberal, uh, liberal, and I'm using quotes, uh, liberal right. intellectual Democrats. But a lot of times when you grow up in such spaces that are so dominated, um, uh, when you grow up in such white dominated spaces, there isn't like the moment for you to possibly engage or, or even understand uh, out of experience um, other things. 
you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so like, for example, the, N the NAACP wouldn't be up here because it's not, right. it's, it's different. And so that's so, yeah, God, I mean, just thinking about being in an Airbnb and not knowing that in another, yeah. in 150, 170 years back, a little bit farther back, you know, slaves were auctioned and sold here. Um, people who were enslaved were, and, and I mean, and so, and so, and then stepping into New England, like we just don't have that. And, you know, um, we don't, our, our history with, with uh, violence on that racial and epic level would be the genocide that happened to the Native Americans um, mm -hmm. in this area when the pilgrims came. And that happened many, many years before slavery. And it's not mm -hmm. as palpable today in our society, even though Native American, you know, communities throughout the country are still super, super neglected. And, you know, you can yeah. type in a Google COVID and Native American, uh, and you'll see that their, their communities are being devastated because they don't have mm -hmm. basic access to health, uh, to sanitation, to running water, basic things that like people need. Um, and so yeah. that's a completely different, <laughs> that's a completely different segue. Um, and so, high school, and then we meet in college. And I think it's still fascinating that this is the first time that you and I are actually sitting down and talking about like race and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then how did college coming from Natchez, coming from a place uh, that has deep roots in slavery, how did moving mm -hmm. up to Memphis, a city that is majority, you know, uh, black, African American, how was that experience? And then you said you wanted to get out of Natchez, you know, you knew there was so I feel I have a feeling that there's like a big world out there and you went out and you and you, you know, you met some weirdo from Massachusetts. <laughs> um, so now you're in college and then what happens? Yeah, college was like a total 360. Um, just to kind of show the difference in high school, I was a member of the Young Republicans. And in college, I was on some committee that was like college students for Barack Obama. So it was just completely different. Um, and I think, you know, while I was in high school and while I was in college, I worked a lot at a summer camp for adults with special needs. And that's how I kind of got on my career path. And I'm telling you, like, when you take, when you sit there and you take care of a person that's older than your parents and you have to help them shower, you have to help them use the bathroom. Like there's nothing, it just makes you root for the underdog. You want, you realize these people can't advocate for themselves. I have to be their voice. Um, so I started to just really kind of latch on to liberal ideas and um, friends that were liberal, you know, really kind of clinging to them and um, learning all that I could. And ugh, college was just like, opening Pandora's box to so many thoughts. Was there a particular thing that happened in college? Because I mean, there are certain things that I remember vividly from Rhodes. Um, yeah. But was there something that like happened um, that kind of was the day or something, a moment where you were like Republican and then the next day you were like, I think I'm a lot more liberal than I thought I was or that I knew I was like, was there something that happened, you know, an experience um, in and around roads or was it, you know, working with this, with this community that kind of allowed you to, to, to see something different? Yeah, it was working with that community. Um, 
and kind of the the name calling like the African wild child and the hippie and all that and you know working with my special needs community and I was like okay like I'm different than than this but I can latch on to this Mm -hmm. Um, so it was that but in college a big moment was um, I took a religion class that was Memphis in music and religion and we went to the Reverend Billy Kyle's church. And he was the last at the time, he was the last surviving person that was with MLK when he was shot. Um, and we just sat there and talked to him and interviewed him. And I think that was one of the moments where I kind of got more into the picture of race and, and realized the activism that was needed. I didn't even know that until today. I didn't even know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was that freshman year? No, I think it was sophomore. Sophomore year? It was such a cool class. Yeah. Gosh. So what was it? What was it? Religion? What was it? Religion? Memphis music, music and religion. Nice. 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 Yeah. And we I went think. to um, Al Green's church. Like we went to all these different churches around Memphis. Nice. Yeah, I, I clearly didn't take that class. <laughs> yeah, shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> shoulda, woulda. Maybe I'll go back and I'll and I'll sit Ooh. in on that class. <laughs> see if Rose Let's does. Uh, yeah, see if Rose does night school. Um, <laughs> and so, for me, and, and for me, race and roads was was such an interesting thing, because really? I grew up in this in this and this is something we've never spoken about because I just didn't no. I also didn't realize until I left Rhodes some of the things that happened that I was really not cool with but I also just at the time I wasn't aware that how uncool I was how uncool I was about them happening with the yeah yeah, yeah and that happens in our life we can look back and everything's easier literally this is no pun I know we're in 2020 but hindsight is 2020 and we can say you yeah. know what that relationship or that moment, or that summer, or that job, God, was that not healthy for me? Um, and what I, Rose is super interesting because when I visited it, I visited it with my dad. And mm-hmm. this is something I also really never shared. And so if there are Rose people listening, they'll be like, oh my God. But I visited <laughs> with my father and we went down and I loved it from the second I stepped on the campus. You know, you just have a feeling Same. about certain campuses. I stepped on, I was like, yeah, I can see myself here. I really want to be here. How do I, you know, yeah. how can I make that happen? And it ended up working out. Um, but I remember when I got into Rhodes, my father told me he didn't want me to go to Rhodes. And I, and I said, but, but why? Like, I, I'm telling you, this is where I'd like to go. I feel comfortable here. If I'm going to be far away from, you know, everything I know, I want to be in a place where at least I feel comfortable. And he said, I don't want you to go to a place where all the kids have white faces and everyone who works there has a black face. Um, and wow. he, he said it a lot more eloquently than that, but I'm just going to yeah. keep it like, we're just going to keep it moving here. But he was basically like, I don't want you to think that that's how the world is. Cause it's not. Um, mm-hmm. And it's essentially, he didn't say this, this is me now looking back at his like words. And there was a little bit more drawn out than that, but it was essentially like, this is a place of privilege. And this is a place Rhodes context within uh, uh, you know a majority black city is so interesting, and I think it's it changed does. obviously yeah. since we went. But when we yeah. went, it was such a white campus, and so mm-hmm. my father, being cognizant of the fact, he saw things that I didn't see then, and 
maybe I should have listened to him. Dad, if you're listening, maybe I should have taken that into account more. But, <laughs> you know, being a kid who was adopted from Columbia, when you grow up in this community, I'm just Jarrett. That's all I am. But the second yeah. I left this community and I went somewhere else and people don't know me and they don't know my parents and they don't know the church that I go to. They don't know that I went to this high school. They don't, once I don't have any of those connections, then I'm just what people see. And all of a sudden getting on the plane and going down to Memphis, I all of a sudden became, uh, you know, I became actually for the first time in my life, I was like seen by others as a Latino. You know, mm -hmm. and that's how I was engaged. And it was with. very much a part of your identity. Yeah, everyone. Else, you know? it, I know because at Rhodes, I was the only. Let me before I say that comment. I think I can make that comment. Yeah, as far as I know, I was the only Colombian person at Rhodes, uh, Colombian blooded person. Um, there really? Was, yeah, there were a couple. You know, um, there were a couple students with Mexican heritage and and other things right. like that. But it was the first time where basically I go out in the world, and then you know the world tells you the world's going to tell you who you are, and it's up for you to know yeah. who you are internally and be like whatever. Um, and the world will judge you as the way it does, and that's kind of like that's that's how the thing goes. And so it was a very interesting thing to be at Rhodes, and then all of a sudden overnight, I am like. Matt and I, Matt, shout out. Yeah. <laughs> we're like the two Latino kids and we're fulfilling stereotypes, right? Totally. Because we play soccer. Awesome. Totally. You know? And so I don't know. That 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 was a super interesting time. And so Rhodes for me, as I think it was for you, was transformative in the way that we understood, engaged, and saw race. And then on a more national level, I had never really started to, you know, dive into uh so many things that happened in U.S. history according to race. Like, when did you learn about Emmett Teal? Was that in grade school, middle school, high school, being a part more of like the Southern? Yeah, I would say middle. And how was it? Like, what was the conversation around that? I know that was very long ago, but was there anything that you remember? Yeah, nothing notable and I feel like the the you know African-American people that we learned about I feel like it was so brief you know mm -hmm. like a like a Harriet Tubman uh you know a couple other people Ro Ro Rosa Parks sat in a bus yeah. NAACP MLK yeah because like you know I grew up here and I don't learn about Emmett Till, and this is real. I do not learn about Emmett Till until Kanye West comes out, 2005 college dropout. And in the song, In the Wire, he talks about that. Um, he talks wow. about, you know, I got my, because he gets in the car accident and he says, you know, scared of hell that my, that, that, that he's talking from the girls, his girlfriend's perspective at the time, you know, he says, scared of hell that my guy looked like Emmett Till. So I don't know what that means. And I'm rapping along and I know all the lyrics. And I remember <laughs> being in Glassell. J.R. Bizzle's my roommate. I know. <laughs> I know. And I get on Google or Bing or Ask Jeeves, whatever we had back in the day. <laughs> and I look up Emmett Till. And that's how I learned about Emmett Till. And so wow. what I'm saying is like coming from New England, we don't learn about almost anything. If you thought your like African-American history was brief, I feel like ours was way briefer, at least in like you know, and if you obviously wanted to dive deeper and took a class maybe in high school about that, sure. then sure, maybe you could get that. But 
it's just something that we are just not taught and we are not mm-hmm. raised to understand that also like African-American history is American history. Therefore we should learn about it and it adds tremendous value to our understanding. And so, yeah, well, and like Juneteenth, what the hell? Why is that not a thing? Why is that not? It should, it should totally be. How is it? Okay. How is it not? And here's the other thing. I didn't know. When did you know? I didn't know about Juneteenth until I went to the Peace Corps. I, full confession, did not know about Juneteenth until this year. Really? Yes. Wow. You heard it first. Why is that not taught? Totally. It should totally be taught. And here's the thing. Like, so I was like, why, you know, how, so I learned about it in Peace Corps because all the black volunteers would get together and they would have their Juneteenth party. And like, that's awesome. And, yeah. um, and, and that's when I learned about it because I remember that there were other white volunteers that were like, Oh, let us go to Juneteenth. How come they can have a party and we can't have a party. And I'm like, if you have to ask that <laughs> question, if you got to ask that question, there's other things you need to be asking. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Hold on a sec. Um, but so, and I realized I never learned about Juneteenth even all the time I spent in Memphis because by mid-May, we were out. We weren't in oh. school. So I wasn't hanging around yeah. Memphis and I wouldn't have been there during that time for, you know, yeah. maybe there was something that would be going on in reference to that because Juneteenth uh, up in Beverly, I'd never, I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we'd never heard of it is a problem, right? And yeah, so- because I mean, think of how much we heard as we should, we heard about the Holocaust growing up like I said, as we should. To me, that is like very similar, you know, civil rights issues. And so that should be something that we are taught, that we celebrate um, grade school. It should be, it should be a national holiday. And the fa- it's just so yes. shocking that you and I both have college degrees from the United States uh, and we are in many ways educated and not as informed as we should be. Um, right. And that is, a, that is, that right there is, is just the tip of the iceberg, I think, of systematic, uh, of, of institutional racism, you know, yeah. um, by not Agreed. teaching, if you don't teach it, it never happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so, all right, let's fast forward. Let's fly forward. Um, because you and I were together when Barack Obama was elected. Oh my and gosh. Not the night to remember <laughs> or not. So many tears. <laughs> so many tears. And then, you know, so now, now we're up to 2016 and, you know, Donald Trump gets elected. And one of the things that I think we wanted to talk about today that I, I find really fascinating, and I know that other people are going to just get tremendous value is if you can talk about the dynamic and relationship um, that you've had with your husband around some of these ideas, because like any relationship in the world, you're never going to agree on everything. Um, Absolutely. From sports teams to food to, you know, everything in between and definitely politics, you know, politics, religion, drugs, all those things are all things that, you know, I don't know any relationship that is like, yeah, we agree hundred percent on all these things because right. everyone's their own person. So talk to me about being married in, you know, in the age that we're in as a more liberal leaning person in Mississippi. Yeah. It's a lot. Uh- it's a lot. <laughs> And raising a child. And raising a child under these circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Um, So my husband is, and I hate like, I hate liberal and conservative, but for the sake of simplicity, he is more conservative leaning. He's from Louisiana. Um, And when we met, we met in 2016. 
Um, and we talked about, yeah, I'm just now like putting that together. Wow. We talked about our stance on things um, because that was big. I wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we believe the same things on like the big five, you know, abortion, gay rights, race, all those things. Um, so we had these tough conversations and we were very um, on the same level. Well, Trump gets elected. Ooh. And Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Um, we, you know, went to the polls for different people. Um, and that's something that I, until this podcast, um, I really hid from. Um, and I really didn't like to talk about it. Um, you know, we would go to parties and we'd be drinking and I'm like watching him like, okay, who's he talking to? Is he getting too drunk? And he's going to talk about Trump. Cause that's my real liberal friend. And they're going to, you know, argue with him. So here I am like watching all this and trying to police it. And that just, that puts you in a cage. Like, how are you going to enjoy life when you're sitting there policing your husband's conversations? So this, you know, Black Lives Matter movement um, and being stuck inside during a pandemic has really, thankfully, forced us to to talk about things. Um, I mean, sure, I guess we could go in our separate rooms and not talk about it, but we've chosen to send each other articles and have those difficult conversations. Um, and it, it kind of came to a head one night when I said, you know, he could kind of tell that there was something underneath. And I said, okay, okay, here's what it is. I said, I just want you to think the way I think. And that was scary to say, you know, I mean, that. After, after like four years of kind of uh, yeah, walking of on the edge. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. Um, so I was nervous to say that. And I said that and he was like, oh, this is huge. I'm so glad you said this this is great. This is, you know, breaking ground. Um, because he could tell by the way I was acting that like, I always had this something, something was underneath it. You know, I wasn't being myself. I wasn't being honest. Um, so since I've said that, and since we had that breakthrough, we've had such genuine conversations about why we believe the things that we believe. Um, and I think that, you know, the reason why I want to talk about it is because so many people think that it has to divide you and that the person in office determines so much about who you are, but it, it doesn't. Um, and, you know, kind of my tagline is I thought when Donald Trump got elected, he was going to lead us to divorce, but he actually made our marriage stronger. Um, because we sit here and we talk about these things. Wow. So take that Trump. <laughs> yeah, take take that. Keep America great. Um <laughs> wow. So I've so I I I mean this podcast we can only record for so long and people are like all right, these guys these people are crazy. Like they need to do their own thing. Um but what what's the what what are some of the articles that you share? Like do you set any parameters around this? Is it like, all right, honey, you can't send me like seven YouTubes and I can't send you like six <laughs> podcasts 
is it is it how intentional are you being about it are you like honey like i sent you that we need to talk about it or is it still kind of happening organically um what does that look like yeah it happens very organically like um i go to bed way before he does and so i'll wake up and i'll have like three facebook messages of articles he wants me to read um and vice versa so it's just kind of as we come across stuff um we both really critique the website that the person's information is coming from because you know i absolutely believe that things are twisted according to what venue you're getting it from um so we try and find the most unbiased sources um and you know we will say things like a statement well i i think that black lives matter believes this and if i have a challenge to that then i'm like okay i think i heard that it doesn't so i'm going to find that for you so that's kind of how we get on track and what sources what sources do you tend to um do you tend to levitate towards as far as finding like common ground with him saying you know what yeah i totally believe that source so now i'm changing my opinion or you being like I totally believe that source. So now I'm changing my opinion. Like what, what sources? Cause I totally believe that that's where the root of so much of our, our problem in American discourse today happens. It's the root of it is misinformation, right? Absolutely. There's misinformation out there. That's basically getting us to hate one another um, and yes. see one another as enemies and pit one another mm-hmm. and, and pit each other against each other. And so knowing where the sources is, is a great place to start. So what are the sources that you and he can both agree upon and be like, yep, I'm not going to question that. I, okay. Mm-hmm. That's, so what are the sources? Um, there's a channel that we have called Newsy. Newsy. Ever- yeah. It's a, um, I can't remember what their tagline is, but it's something about how they're an unbiased news source. Uh-huh. Um, and so they'll just stream like the latest news, just like CNN would, but there's not all that undertone with it. Okay. Okay. We watch that a lot. Um, and then I find that the videos that resonate the most with me are, you know, if it's a representative speaking and it's from C-SPAN and it's just showing the representative talk about his stance. That way I don't have to worry about, you know, an article and how it's written and what, what are they trying to spin and make me think. Um, so those are the ones that resonate with me the most. And, and for him, it's the same, the newsy and. Yeah. And I send him like, um, you know, direct things from Brock's Instagram account, um, direct quotes, stuff like that. From Brock's Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. My boy. <laughs> missing, missing old 44. Um, <laughs> so how since you since, since how long ago did this start did these conversations uh or did this kind of open space of like yeah we're both gonna we're both really giving each other the uh the okay to be wrong is essentially what you've done um and i think a lot of people yeah. are so scared to be wrong you know i have yes. been wrong a lot over the last five six seven years sharing stuff on facebook and part of that is because i share a good amount and so the more stuff you put out, the more, and I right. feel like so many people for so long have this stance of, oh, I'm not into politics or let's not get into politics. And I feel like a lot of it is a fear of being wrong because 
although in our culture, it's so cool to fail when you're in the tech industry, when you say something that's wrong in front of the people you care about, a lot of them, there's all this shame and like, oh man, I don't want to look stupid. So therefore I'm not going to take any stance. Um, and so how long ago did, did you guys start this? And then the follow up is what do your friends think about? What are the other couples that you hang out with? think because I'm sure being in Mississippi that you know how did how how does that play out yeah I mean honestly pretty much well 2016 it was good but pretty much from 2017 to 2019 it was contentious um what what, can you break that down just is this the two years of following him around parties making sure he's not (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and we just didn't we just didn't talk about politics. Nothing. Poor thing. He would try and start the conversation. And I would exactly like you said, you nailed it. I would be like, shit, I don't have a statistic to give to him about why the way I think. So I just don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, because with me, and I think with a lot of the liberal party, you know, we're feelings based. Um, and I'm using quotes. <laughs> For- <laughs> that stuff is hard to explain because I don't have, you know, facts on facts in terms of evidence base on why I think the way I think all the time. Um, so that just completely overwhelmed me and I would shut down and just avoid it. Um, and I would kind of commiserate with a few other people on, yeah, we don't talk about politics. Um, and really, I'm telling you, it was this quarantine and going through this um, and having that breakthrough where I told him, I wish you just thought like me, that you really embraced this and started talking about it. And and so other other couples that you know, do you think that they're talking about these types of things? Do you think they're still just like not talking about them? Um I'm not married. So like, I don't know what that's like, but I think it'd be hard for me to be in a loving relationship with someone for the rest of my life. And there's people out in the streets rioting um, and burning things because people who potentially look like them are being killed at the hands of the police in, you know, in a number that's greater than other people uh, per capita. I mean, that to me, I feel like if you're not going to talk about something then, then when are you going to talk about something? Um, Yeah. So what's your feeling? Do you feel like other people are and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And amongst our friend group here, at least, um, we're kind of known as like, Oh, Thomas has that liberal wife, you know, and we kind of joke about it and it's, it's, it's always loving and it's fine and I embrace it. Um, but we haven't had like a discussion with our friends about, how we how we think how we process through that i have one other friend who's um in the same situation and we talk about it a lot and you know a lot of times they avoid avoid the topic it's easier to avoid it's always easier to avoid than it is to engage about an uncomfortable topic no matter what no matter what it is um yeah it could be and that's been my realization too is like throughout this whole thing it's easy to listen to an anti-racist podcast or it's easy to turn on Netflix and watch 13th. Um, and I'm not downplaying those things, but it's a lot harder to sit there and be like, okay, 
I think black lives matter. Well, my stance is blue lives matter and talk that out. Like that is hard to do that with people you love, um, people that you look up to and to say, Hey, I actually don't believe the way you believe. Yeah. It's doing the work is really tough. And I think that is why this is such an uncomfortable moment for many people. Um, because they're having just honestly for, for a lot of people, uh, because they're at, they're, they're having to do that and, uh, they've never had to do that before. Uh, especially up here, the feeling I get from, from some of my, you know, some of the conversations I've had are people don't want to feel like they're being, you know, you know, the girl, you you know, the movie mean girls, uh, Mm -hmm. people don't want to be a mean girl. And what I mean is people don't want to be looked as a bad person. And the reality of it is, and this is what people are realizing, is you can be a good person and also harbor deep racist sentiments and deep implicit bias. They're not mutually exclusive. And that's really hard for people to realize. Um, And it's not their fault, but just because it's not your fault doesn't mean that you're not then accountable for those thoughts and how those influence your actions. Because there's so so much of our society that sometimes we partake in that we're not even cognizant um, exactly. that it is feeding into a whiter, you know, a white supremacist lens or something like that. Exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, even just, and, and, and I, I'll admit this, my, for such a long time, you know, when you're raised in this country, it's like, oh, if someone goes to jail, then they're just, then they're a bad person. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you got to forgive them, but they went to jail because they're a bad person. And then as you grow up, and now the moment we're in now is like, mm, okay, so the same people that were overly incarcerated, black and brown people in Massachusetts, in certain parts of the country where now marijuana or cannabis is legal, that went to jail for such a long time, or that went to jail over many, many years, we're just looking at this as like an issue, that went to jail for many, many years uh, for this, for having this substance, right? Now we flip it, now it's legal, and now really the people who control once it's legal are essentially, they're, it's, it's dominated by white money. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of barriers to entry for, for the other communities. Um, mm-hmm. And you almost even have what you were talking about in the ballet where you have the NAACP stepping in and being like, yeah, you need, because there's mm-hmm. been talk about, and I'm just, I'm getting a little off topic, but it's to give an example of, of, of how I think it's been difficult in my lifetime for me to like understand how the system works. Because as a kid, it was like, oh yeah, if you go to jail, you're a bad person. It doesn't matter right. what race or creed or color or religion. If you go to jail, you're a bad person. And now you find out that so many people were wrongfully jailed over a substance that is now legal and yet they're still in jail. And now that it's legal, it's controlled by, you know, it, it's controlled by essentially white investors, white VCs and yes. white money. And so that's a little, it's, a, it's a going a little bit off topic, but it's like, that is such a part of a system when you're raised mm-hmm. to think that people in jail are bad. And then you look at the jail population and it's predominantly, uh, you know, black and brown per capita, you know, according mm-hmm. to the, to the, to, to the breakdown and the division in our country, you're, you're, you're made to believe that, okay, black and brown people are dangerous. When you mm-hmm. watch cops, it's normally white cops with guns and they're in communities of color and they're essentially harassing people. But when you grow up, this is, these are things that are start to, mm-hmm. it's in your subconscious. So you can still be a good person and yet harbor exactly. sentiments that are, and I think that's really tough for people to deal with mm-hmm. because people want to be good. You know, oh, I'm a church goer. Um, mm-hmm. I volunteer. 
I do all of these things. I don't have any of that in my heart, but then push mm -hmm. comes to shove. And now it gets down to the real serious matter, which is I think what you guys are going to have to really grapple with between now and November is like, at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta walk what you're talking. And voting mm -hmm. is one of our most powerful things we have as citizens. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, as far as like the, the creation of the state, we have to, we have to vote, and we have to pay taxes. Um, mm -hmm. And by paying taxes, we are given the right to vote. And right. so, so I think that's really tough too, because some of the conversations I've had are like, okay, cool. I get that you don't like this guy and you want to keep supporting that guy. But if you're BLM, if you're, if you're working with BLM and you're working to, to really find anti-racist policies, does that guy who you want to support, who you voted for in 2016, does he represent that? Because if he doesn't, right. then what? Mm -hmm. And that's the really, really tough part. Mm -hmm. um, and so looking ahead at 2020, where do you think those conversations are going to lead? Uh, any idea on what that looks like? Tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I think a big thing for us, kind of the hill that we stand on, is that we, we embrace each other's differences and we recognize that we are different people. Um, you know, I went to Juneteenth celebration downtown and brought our son. I saw that. I saw that. Thomas was home cooking dinner, which is awesome. Um, Very awesome. And I came back from that and I was like, God, like, thank you for letting me and embracing the fact that I want to go do that. And I want to bring our son to that. Um, because things like that re-energize me. Right. So we have that image of me like policing his conversations at a party where I'm just like caught up in my own head. And now I can go to this Juneteenth celebration. It's just like Mario, like eating the mushroom and getting bigger. Oh, feel <laughs> re-energized. Um, and so I thanked him for that. And he was like, yeah, you know, your, your heart is such a good heart and I, I see what it does for you and I'm not trying to change you. Um, so I think that that's just going to continue to be our, our stance is here we are, we have different opinions. Um, but just cause you go in there in November and you press this button and I press that button doesn't mean, like you said, that we're good or bad people. Right, right, right. Cause I think that that's one of the toughest things. Um, and I've heard that, you know, like, oh, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. And I'm not saying that potentially you're a bad person. I'm just saying that uh, there could be things that you've never engaged with or had to engage with, um, yeah. especially around issues around race, ethnicity, uh, entitlement, and privilege. And yeah. when you have to do it, it's really tough, especially as like a, especially as an adult. You know, if we had had this conversation when we were 22, um, yeah, it would have been a completely different potential future for both of us, you know? Um, but it's, I'm so glad to hear that you and Thomas are having that conversation now because you've already said it, like your marriage is stronger and Absolutely. there's a lot of power in that. You've actually taken the power back from what maybe at times felt like a powerless situation. Yeah. And that's what I love. Like I felt like, Oh, this ex expletive president, you know, <laughs> power, <laughs> this power over my relationship and my own behavior i mean you know the fact that he's our leader is making me 
behave differently with my husband. And so that gave him the power. But here we are, you know, because of all this nasty, awful stuff that's going on, here we are on the other side and we've, we're each shining kind of in our roles. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I want to be sure and say that I don't, blame Natchez. I don't blame my high school. I don't think that they're awful or closed-minded or anything like that. I think it's just like you said, like growing up, you think that everyone who goes to jail is bad. Um, I think when you're in a kind of a silo and you're only exposed to so much, that's, that's what you're going to know. So I don't want to blame anyone, anything. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, our experiences make us into who we are. And if I didn't have that experience going to Rhodes, to be frank, I would have felt like many people do up here. And I'm sure I did. Honestly, I'm sure I did before I went down to Rhodes in Memphis and honestly made so many friends from the SEC was that like, you know, that's a whole different world, right? Why do I want to go hang out with Southern people? Um, You know, um, but now I'm like, no, that's just, it's a beautiful and it's a different part of the United States that like, honestly makes us, it makes us stronger. Um, yeah. But it is, it is, it is, uh, it's so telling though that we haven't even had a chance to talk about that and this until now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that, especially tied around race is that there was never a space where we felt like we could be vulnerable and be wrong about it. Um, mm, exactly. And uh Especially in college. I mean, and we went to a very, you know, academically focused college. I think with politics in college, I really felt like I couldn't talk because I didn't have the facts or I wasn't a poli sci major. Um, It was a different time too. And I think the conversations have completely changed. I mean, it was a time where the difference between like a liberal and a conservative would be, you know, pro-choice or pro-life. Uh, yeah. And now it's a completely different conversation. And now it's, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like pro science or not science, which is, is interesting to see play Just, out, especially during a global pandemic. Um, and, you know, Rhodes is really interesting because years ago, maybe like two years ago, a student wrote build the wall, um, spray painted that on one of the buildings. Uh, the student was then, you know, two days later, expelled see a really yeah we 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 don't want that here um but that was interesting to see how how the um how the administration and how you know the yeah um, what's the not the headman is it not the headmaster what's the name of the 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 president the president uh, the president because i wrote her i wrote her and i said this person's got to go that can't be part of the rose community that's not that's not the community that you know that i know um that someone would write that but also like the world has gone a thousand miles per hour and the way that, you know, students now digest information is way different when we had flip phones, right? Oh my gosh. Facebook was just, it wasn't even a thing, you know, it no, was like you had growing. To have a college email address. Well, it, uh, yeah. And we had it, but it wasn't a thing. Like you had like one photo, you didn't have videos, yeah. you didn't have memes. <laughs> I can only yeah. imagine the memes. <laughs> uh, oh. And so I, I think that that, that that has been fascinating and I'm really interested. I'd love to get, yeah, um, I'd love to touch base with you again, because as we get yeah. closer to the 2020 election, I'm interested to see the conversations that are going to happen, because every day we're bombarded with new things that I think are topics that uh, a liberal and a conservative can definitely sit down and, and discuss. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So thank you, Claire, for joining yeah. us. Thank and you. And I think, you know, going out like the challenge, I come from a religious background, but I think it can be applied even if you're not religious, you know, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And when he said that, he knew that they were going to look different than you, act different than you and be different from you. And that's the whole point. Um, So I just challenge anybody that's listening to really think outside the box. And just because somebody has on an American flag t-shirt or because somebody isn't wearing a mask doesn't mean that they're a bad person to their core. Totally. To their core. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, thank you, Claire. Yeah. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, I guess so. I'm going to do <laughs> research. <laughs> I got to go study. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.